The world thinks I know what I've been swimming in the maze Trapped inside it now for days Living in a state of haze Lost the way you lit the fuse Is it me? What's the truth? No religion, no excuse What's the use? Damn, I think I need therapy This music and sleep won't cut a callus to eat Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the ninth episode of the Counseling Corner here at Radio Karam. Um, I just wanted to, uh, before we get into our show today, I just wanted to give a huge thanks to our previous um, show guest, Philip Armstrong, who was the CEO of the Australian Counseling Association, for joining us and sharing some of his journey and, and experiences and some of his opinions and the implications of what he and the company are doing for counselling and the mental health space um, before and, and in the future. So thank you for that. Um, now today um, I am of course, joined by my beautiful co-host, Sally. Hi, Sally. Hello, Amanda. Welcome back to our lovely audience and welcome on the Counselling Corner. Thank you. Um, so today we've chosen a topic to talk about uh, and we'll, we'll get into sort of the importance of it and everything um, like that um, towards the end of the show. Um, but uh, I guess today we're going to talk about a theory um, that has some pretty big implications in, in people's lives and in counselling and things like that and that's called the attachment theory. Um, we're we're going to go into what the theory suggests and, and how it's used but I, I would like to start with a bit about, you know, who who's who in the, the attachment theory world. So um, let, let's start with the creator. Mm-hmm. So I'll be starting with the forefather of attachment theory um, so his name was Edward John Balby. Um, a lot of people have probably heard of him before. He's very well connected to the attachment theory. So he he was born in London in 1907 and died in 1990 actually, so not that long ago. Um, he was born to a upper middle class family Um, believing that too much parental affection and attention would spoil a child, his parents spent only a small amount of time with him each day. So at the age of seven, he was sent to boarding school, uh, which he would later describe as a pretty traumatic experience for himself. Yeah. Um, He attended the almighty Trinity College Mm. where he studied psychology and spent time working with delinquent children. And this pretty much set the course of his future and inspired him to become a child psychiatrist. Um, he then studied British psycho at the at the British Psychoanalytical Institute and was initially influenced by the work of Melanie Klein, which was a psychologist who created the play therapy technique. Um, he became very dissatisfied with Klein's approach, believing that it focused too much on children's fantasies and not enough on events in the environment. And so he pretty much went his own way. So after becoming a psychoanalyst in 1937, he served in the Royal Army Medical Corps during World War II. Um, And then he later became director at the Tavistock Clinic. And in 1950, 
he became a mental health consultant to the World Health Organization, which is also known as WHO. Um, he's best known for being the originator of attachment theory, researching child development, influencing modern day psychology, education, childcare, and parenting. Um, and he became particularly interested in how separation from caregivers impacted children. Mm. So uh, he started to write a report pretty much on the mental health of homeless children in Europe. And in 1951, um, he published a piece of work where he wrote that the infant and young child should experience a warm, intimate and continuous relationship with the mother or permanent mother substitute, one person who steadily mothers them. So um, in doing so, we'll, you'll find both satisfaction and enjoyment. Um Bobby continued to develop his attachment theory and he continued to train as a psychoanalyst, but much like Sigmund Freud, um, who believed that the earliest experiences in life have a lasting impact on development and course of relationships in later adult life. But according to Balby, attachment also serves to keep the infant close to the mother, so which improves the child's chances of survival. He suggested that both mothers and infants had evolved to develop an innate need for proc for proximity, which in other words, that their relationship was purely innate and um, influenced by nature and evolution and that nurture, also known as the environment, had nothing to do with the infant's development. Um, by maintaining this closeness, infants are more likely to receive the care and protection that they need to ensure survival. Um, I was trying to research some fun facts because Amanda asked me uh, to point some out <laughs> about Balby, but realised that halfway through my research that such an influential man in the field of psychology proves to be rather stuffy in normal <laughs> life. Um, all I have to say is that Balby grew up in upper middle class family in London, as you all know now, and his father, a leading surgeon, was often absent. So he was cared for primary, pri primarily by a nanny and nursemaids and did not spend much time with his mother, um, which was the custom at that time among their class. So which shows exactly how his upbringing and his own insecure attachment styles with his parents have influenced his work, um, as he often argued that he did not believe that separation from the family was productive to children at such a young age. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so he speaks about four stages of development. Um, so the first stage, so this is his um, main theory and then uh, later on many other um, uh, theorists uh, added to these theories. So he believed that in the first phase, which is the age of birth to three months, from the time that they're born – Info, infants show a preference for looking at human faces and li listening to human voices. So during the first two to three months of life, infants respond to people that they don't distinguish between them. And then at around six weeks, the sight of human faces will elicit social smiles in which babies will be happily happily smile and make eye contact. So while the baby will smile at, at the face that appears in the line of sight, Bobby suggested that sm social smiling increases the chances that the caretaker will respond with loving attention and promoting attachment. Um, 
so each behavior brings the infant closer contact with the caregiver and therefore promotes promotes bonding and emotional investment. He then moves on to phase two, which is from three to six months. When infants are about three months old, they start to differentiate between people and they begin to reserve their attachment behaviors for the people they prefer. While they smile and babble at the people they recognize, they won't do more than stare at a stranger. If they cry, their favorite people are better able to comfort them. So babies' preferences are restricted to two to three individuals and they usually favor one person in particular. So Bowlby and other attachment researchers often often assumed that this individual would be the infant's mother. But it could be anyone who most successfully responded, who they most responded to and had the most positive interactions with the baby. Uh, Phase three, from six to three months to three years. At about six months, baby's preferences for a specific individual becomes more intense. And then that individual leaves the room. The infants will have separation anxiety. Once babies learn to crawl, they will also attempt to actively follow their favorite person. When this individual returns for a period of absence, babies will enthusiastically greet them. So starting about seven or eight months old, babies will start to fear strangers. This can manifest itself as anything from extra caution in the presence of a stranger to crying at the sight of someone new. So especially if they're unfamiliar to that person. So by the time babies are a year old, they have developed already a working model of their favorite individual, including how they will respond to the child. And then from phase four, from three years until childhood ends, Bobby didn't have that much to say about the fourth stage of attachment or the way attachments continue to impact people after childhood. He did, however, observe that at around three years old, children start to comprehend that their caretakers have goals and plans of their own. So as a result, the child is less concerned when the caretaker leaves for a period of time. Um, And this is when they start to develop their own personality. So his theory really influenced the next researcher's theory, which is Ainsworth, um, who speaks about attachment patterns such as secure attachment, avoidant attachment, resistant attachment, and disorganized attachment that Amanda will now further elaborate on. Thanks for that, Sally. Very interesting and uh, Mm. important um, information that um, is sort of relevant. Um, Now, I'm going to talk a bit about uh, Mary Ainsworth, who um, was – a developer, you could say, of the Bol- of Bowlby's ideas and research. Um, but before I, I do, um, let's just hear from one of our sponsors. Don't worry about a thing Because Atticus Health will make you feel all right Don't worry about a thing Cause Atticus Health Will make you feel alright If you got a tummy ache Or you don't feel right Or if you have a nasty rash Keeping you up at night Don't worry About a thing Don't worry Cause Atticus Health will make you feel alright. 
Thank you very much. Um, yeah, so moving into uh, a woman who developed Bowlby's theories uh, quite significantly. Um, mm-hmm. So Mary Ainsworth was known as a developmental psychologist. She was born um, de- December 1st in 1913 and died in 1999 on March 21st. She was born in Glendale in Ohio and uh, a book called Character and the Conduct of Life by William McDougall sparked her interest in psychology. Um, from the bit of research that I that I had look at, it looks like from the age of 16, Ainsworth achieved her bachelor's, ma- master's and PhD by 19... 19- 39 um, from 16 to, to when how old ever old she was um, mm-hmm. in that year um, and after spending a lot of time teaching at Toronto University she joined the Women's Army Corps in 1942 where she was an advisor to well she became an advisor to the director of personnel selection and re- reached the rank of major so helping helping them and deciding how to kind of correctly select people and with all the psychometric testing and things like that um Specifically in terms of attachment, she is known for conducting an experiment that showed the different types of attachment which emphasised the importance of early childhood, um, which I'll, I'll talk about shortly. Um, so uh, according to, to good old Wikipedia, she <laughs> was a precocious child who thirsted for knowledge. She began reading by the age of three and the family would once a week visit the local library where her mother would select appropriate books for her level. She actually didn't have a, a close relationship with her mother through her relationship but um, further down the track through her relationship with her husband in the, who was in the psychology field. That's when she met John Bowlby at, at events and, and uh, galas and, um, you know, balls that the high kind of psychology society would hold um, and that's where she was introduced to him. Um, so a bit of sort of a, a facts about her life. So she experienced significant disadvantages, um, due to the presence of sexism as she mm. was known to be really recognized for a contribution to the field. Um, Wikipedia stated that at the time women had to eat in separate dining rooms than men, which ultimately meant that women could not meet male head department members the normal way, mm-hmm. which as you can kind of tell, meant there was less opportunities for her to kind of mm. grow in the ranks and things like that, mm-hmm. um, which was sort of one of the examples of the the sexism that was present in that day, um, which was un- unfortunate. But um, despite that, Ainsworth received many honours, including the G. Stanley Hall Award from the APA for Developmental Psychology in 84, um, the Award for Distinguished Contribution to Child Development in 85, the Distinguished Scientific Contribution Award from the American Psychological Association in 89. She was selected a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences in 92 and then um, um, with all those awards and contributions she um, passed away in 99 um, at mm. 85 due to a stroke. Um, very distinguished lady. Yes, very. Um, in terms of the work she's known for over her life is for the experiment called she called the strange 
situation. I definitely recommend um, looking this up on on YouTube as there's footage of of um, what they were kind of look. I think they did film it. I think, but mm-hmm. it's found. You can find it on YouTube. Um, there, there's different stages of this experiment, but the main important thing is so she gets an, an infant and their caregiver in their room, and it's predominantly mothers, as as uh, Sally was talking about. Um, they get them in a room with toys and things to kind of play with and then um, the caregiver is asked to kind of get up and leave for a few minutes um, without kind of prompting or I'm going to leave or, you know, things like that. Well, these are infants anyway. Um, mm-hmm. So they, they leave and then what Ainsworth was actually observing and documenting is the reaction of the child when the caregiver comes back and from that, she kind of characterised, um, you know, the types of attachment from each of these different reactions. Yeah. Um, so that's Mary Ainsworth. Um, before I, I did want to kind of move on to another theorist, but if anyone had any questions or comments or feedback, um, please let us know. You can text in um, via this number, which is 0493213831, 0493213831, okay? So the next theorist I wanted to just give special mention to um, predominantly in, in the attachment world is, is Bowlby and Ainsworth, but um, I think there are links to um, uh, a theorist um, called Winnicott. Um, so he, he looked at development and attachment from within the child as opposed to the external that, that Bowlby and Ainsworth did. Um, his name is, is Donald Woods Winnicott and was born in 96 and died in 97. So in his early life, Winnicott saw himself as repressed by his mother. He had a disturbed adolescent period which led him to work with troubled young people mm-hmm. and he started off in the medical field and learned the art of listening carefully when taking medical histories of patients. You can see the transition to counselling and, and um, psychology and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um he actually put himself through decades of psychoanalysis for himself um, just after marrying his wife, maybe his first wife, Alice, who also had severe – well, he didn't He didn't have severe, but she experienced severe psychological difficulties and from that he was interested in getting his own um, psychoanalysis. Um, so, And then later Winnicott was part of the independent group of the psychoanalytic thought, which Bobby was also part of and that's where they met as well. Um, his theories were actually heavily influenced by his second wife who was a social worker and and working through the lens of uh, psychoanalysis and they kind of worked through his theories together. Um, So his theory essentially claimed that the foundations of health are laid down by the ordinary mother in her ordinary loving care of her own baby. So having a holding environment where healthy development could grow, which um, which essentially is sort of the continuation of the, the growth of the adult relationship is the continua- continuation of the reliable holding. Um, so he suggested that playing helps a child feel alive inside. Um, they can develop a true, he called it the true self, uh, a welcoming and reassuring way Um that the baby's spontaneous feelings, expressions and initiatives can be expressed. Um, This allows a child to feel that their feelings are not dangerous or problematic when there's a reaction from the mother 
of a loving and responsive kind of way. Yeah. How, <laughs> how does that sound, Sally? Yeah. What I find really interesting and what's interesting to note is that all these forefathers and founders were so heavily influenced by their own personal life experiences. So understandably, it can leave many to question the validity of their research, which is, I guess, why so many other researchers, especially on development, came about afterwards and added to their theories. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So... um we're just going to elaborate on the, the types of attachment that um, Ain- Bowlby and then Ainsworth um, touched upon. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sally, would you like to kick us off? Okay. So like I said earlier, and so did Amanda, she touched on it as well. Mm-hmm. Ainsworth and her crew believed that there were four stages of attachment. So the ultimate goal, numero uno, is secure attachment. This is what we all should aim to be. Um, So secure attachment believes that infants who are securely attached use their caregiver as a secure base from which to explore the world. So they will venture out and explore away from the caregiver, but if they're frightened or they need any reassurance, they will return. If the caregiver leaves, they will get upset just as babies will. So yet these children are confident that their caregiver will return. When that happens, they will greet their caregiver with heaps of joy. So adults with a secure attachment style tend to have it easier when it comes to social contacts, um, bonding and even intimate relationships because they are aware of their emotions and emotional needs and are able to both experience and express those emotions and regulate them as well. They are open and straightforward and do not go to extremes. And then we go to anxious or also known as resistant or ambivalent attachment styles. So anxious attachment is another form of insecure attachment. These children become extremely upset when their parent leaves. However, when the caregiver returns, their behavior will be inconsistent. So they may initially seem happy to see their caregiver only to become resistant if the caregiver attempts to pick them up. These children often respond really angrily at their caregiver. Um, However, they also display moments of avoidance as well. So they are very distrusting of their caregivers for whatever reason, let that be in separation. So as adults, this type of attachment style is often translated as very chaotic, unpredictable, or forming intense relationship patterns and behaviours. These adults also have an extreme fear of rejection coupled with difficulty in connecting to and trusting others Um, and they need uh, extreme need for closeness uh, coupled with the tendency to avoid closeness and push others away. So it's very extreme um, from one end to the other. It sounds like kind of a need for that reassurance. Absolutely. Closeness and things like that. Um, That they did not have as children for whatever reason. Great. So the next t- style of attachment that they kind of talked about is um, is called avoidant. Um, so if we think about the experiment Ainsworth conducted, um, infant infants sort of would be characterized here mm-hmm. if they are observe if they observedly ignore the mother when when she returns. 
Um, according to, to the Wave Clinic website, these infants have learned that their needs will continue to be unmet, which can lead to feel to feelings of unloved and being insignificant, which kind of translates to, um, you know, if the thought of they come back, I'm ignoring you because I need to kind of I have learned to manage my own feelings because that's you know I haven't it hasn't been met before. Um, so infants here will tend to have difficulties expressing their feelings mm-hmm. and would find it hard to understand their own emotions. Um, and as the label suggests, they would tend to avoid issues and would find it hard to prioritise their needs. Um, as adults, people with avoidant attachment styles tend to be uncomfortable with, with intimacy mm-hmm. and they tend to prefer independence and self-reliance. So they also they also know to, to – and they also actually know to – um, known to get over breakups quicker and in easier because they're more mm. independent. Yeah, and they prefer their own sort of space. Yeah. Um, then there's the, the fourth one, which um, kind of based on my own little research was actually developed by other researchers that looked at infants in high risk mm. samples, so like maltreatments or possible trauma. Um, this is known to be a combination of anxious and avoidant. Um, where infants in this style behave in contradictory ways. Um, if you think about the, the same experiment, infants would approach the mother but while simultaneously gazing away or appearing disorientated. Um, so behaviour from these infants seem difficult to understand and can come in the context where parenting is, unpredict- is unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, infants in this style desperately crave attention but at the same time want to avoid it at all costs. Yep. Um in terms of kind of seeing it play out in adults, um, there was a website that listed these nine signs of this style in, in adulthood. Um, so number one is that it can be – they can show sort of chaotic, unpredictable or intense relationship patterns and behaviour. Number two, extreme fear of reje- rejection coupled with difficulty connecting to and trusting others. Number three, extreme need for closeness coupled with the tendency to avoid closeness and push others away. Uh Number four, aggressive behaviour towards caregivers or partners. Uh, Number five, fear of of caregivers or partners. Number six, negative self-image and low self-worth. Seven, deep-rooted shame. Number eight is depression and or anxiety. And number nine, feeling unlovable, inadequate or unworthy. Okay, really interesting. Quite sad there, Amanda, to be honest. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, let's talk about our attachment styles. I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, kind of personify the, you know, you listening to us as as humans. You know, we're all humans and have our own experiences. And and as you heard, the the theorists have their own insecure attachment styles. Absolutely. They all have insecure attachments, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so, so yeah, Sally, what, what do you think your attachment style uh, Okay. Oh, I've thought about this so many times. Mm. Um, I think I predominantly came from a secure based attachment as an infant. Um, I was given plenty of a connection with my mother. I'm going to include father, even though you're not meant to. This is my issue with, um, <laughs> Balby's <laughs> attachment theory. Um, he only believed that it was the mother's fault um, if anything went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, and I guess that my innate survival needs were met by his definition. So, um, but I do believe, I don't know if this really goes, but there was a time when I was probably about two years of age where my family and I were migrants who escaped the Gulf War. And I guess from this chaos, I have developed, I did develop some insecure attachment tendencies. I guess I've like feared death or loss or grief Mm. something happened there um but for so long I was so insecure um where I just thought I was just so dependent on Mm. so many people um however I think through journey of life and different experiences and even studying psychology and psychotherapy and counseling um I think I have since corrected this as an adult and now I would say I'm completely secure. Mm. Also, I have dated past secure people in secure relationships, Mm. uh, attachment styles. So that was – they were quite secure relationships and they modelled perfect styling for me. So I learnt from them. Mm. Um, But, yeah, it is very tough to correct your attachment style. Yeah. Um, and the journey was difficult, but it can be done, it's which is important impossible. to know. It's not impossible. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Amanda? Tell me what your attachment My, style is. Yeah, well, obviously through learning about attachment style, we always kind of – well, they always tell us to reflect and what, what we would kind of put ourselves. Yeah. Um, and through doing some research about this, I, there's tests online you can kind of take, but I'm not sure the, the validity of it. But I did take – Amanda one. loves a good test. <laughs> That's what I've realised from well, knowing her and getting to know her more and more. You know, growing up with like, you know, Dolly Doctor and stuff. Oh, that's where it started. <laughs> it's probably started from that. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, so I actually did one of the tests and it said that I am uh, disorganised, fearful, avoidant. Okay. I don't What about subscribe. if you were to reflect? Yeah. Am I putting you well, on the I spot? No, I don't subscribe to that and there, and there's a lot of um validity issues with tests online and stuff so yeah um but i definitely um you know <clears> thinking <throat> about my own childhood mm-hmm. definitely very uh, a secure base secure foundation mm-hmm. um mum was very loving and, and attentive um as much as she could be with um you know i don't know if you want to go into my personal life but uh, my sister did need more attention so uh, as you kind of mentioned i got that secure base from my dad a bit more yeah um but it was it was almost equal I'm sure that they'd have something to say yeah. after but um so I think I I am I kind of started with secure but um I, I think through some of my experiences became you know maybe through being independent and not having that kind of um closeness that that my sister had mm-hmm. um it created a little bit of avoidant um you know doing things on my own and so more know, dependent a little bit more kind of independent independent i, I, I should say yeah. yeah yeah a little bit more kind of i need to kind of manage it for myself mm-hmm. and, and um be a bit more independent um but that's i feel like that is kind of correcting especially in in um, my current relationship where you know learning to kind of not leave issues or um not kind of escaping kind of difficult situations and and facing them um so i I definitely think that you know i have sort of corrected some of those tendencies but it is it is a difficult process and Mm -hmm. and one to kind of be aware of absolutely but it can be done it can be done Mm -hmm. yes for sure okay so what's the next question um I think we're going to talk about how attachment style can help you. Mm. Yes. Um, so 
knowing and understanding what style we are, um, it can help make that important decision of what kind of partner we want to be with. Okay. Understanding that it is possible, as we've kind of mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, means that we can kind of find a relationship that is emotionally fulfilling. And those two words I think have really come up in, in my research, having a relationship that's emotionally fulfilling. Um, I always say that understanding anything about ourselves can help us mal- manage challenges more effectively and being aware of that. Um so it is suggested that our family, since it's suggested that our family, such people we were raised by, sets up our basic model of attachment. So where we were raised, it can kind of lay the foundations of what a relationship looks like, whether secure or insecure or, or you know, difficult or whatever. That, that sets us up with what we understand about relationships and how to relate to people. So... If we can find a way to improve our interactions with people we care about, um, once we realise that that it's difficult, that it arises more challenges that we mm-hmm. need help with, it's Im- it's impacting us more heavily. Um, I-, I think um, we can we're likely to firstly be aware of that and then be able to kind of shift and learn. Um, to improve our interactions with people, yep. then it's likely we are to kind of choose or decide to be in a relationship that's more fulfilling overall. Yeah, well, I think that is very important to be able to define your attachment style. Um, it does, it can help connect you with others more positively, like you said, and regulate your emotions as well. Um, and I guess also having an attachment style can help you define how you relate to others in the social world. So it can give meaning, um, you know, and put things into a nice little box for you as well. Yeah, for sure. So, Sally, how is this used in counselling? Okay. So I guess with those principles in mind, attachment theory can pretty much be applied to any life domain in which people feel threatened or distressed and in which there's an actual person or symbolic figure who can provide a safe haven and a secure base. So therefore, in counselling, the safe haven can be created through the therapeutic alliance between you, the therapist, um, and your client through what we call in the therapy world uh, unconditional positive regard, empathy, and congruence, which are also known as Carl Rogers' core principles. So attachment-based therapy, it's actually quite brief and it's process-orientated form of counselling. The client-therapist relationship is based on developing or rebuilding trust and centres on expressing emotions. So an attachment-based approach can be used in individual individual family, couple and group therapy with both children and adults to help clients mend or recover from fractured family relationships. So those who may benefit from attachment-based therapy include adopted children, children in foster care, children or depressed parents, Uh, children, like Amanda said before, who have experienced trauma, um, particularly at the hands of a caregiver Mm. and adolescents who have, who are depressed or suicidal and also adults who are depressed and anxious themselves as well. So these can all be mended in the therapy room, Mm. um, quite difficult, but it can be done. Uh, what to expect in a counselling session is since the goal of attachment extends to repairing the family relationship, 
the therapist will try their absolute best um, with the individual uh, person um, or client or with the family and the group to repair those relationships through talk therapy um, or art therapy as well, creative therapies and play therapy as well. Um, The therapist works with the family or the individual to build and strengthen either things like parent-child bonds and help the child to develop into an independent, self-sufficient adult. With individual adults, the therapists aim to help the client overcome the effects of negative early attachment Mm. difficulties Mm. uh, by establishing a secure bond between the client and the therapist. So Mm. it's almost like modelling a perfect secure attachment in the space. So once this relationship, and by relationship I mean therapeutic relationship, Mm -hmm. um, is solidified, the therapist can then help the client communicate more openly and better explore and understand how their current feelings and behaviors are associated with earlier experiences. Have you actually ever tried attachment style and therapy sessions before Amanda? Well, well, Sally, I I think I do sometimes um, when I explore childhood experiences, especially their experiences with their primary caregivers. Um, But I, I do preface it with the idea that well, I, I kind of suggest to clients that the childhood experiences can be rooted in theory um, in, as opposed to kind of that that's their kind of be and end all of, of reasons why they're experiencing difficulties. Um, but I do um, – but also kind of giving it some merit with the research Ainsworth, Ainsworth did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I expressed to clients that while – you know, this is a theory, the behaviour that, that we learn in childhood and in family environments, it, it tends to become some sort of a norm and it can be difficult to change those dynamics, um, you know, when we are kind of up brought in, in that kind of dynamic. And, and I always tell clients, you know, while we're in it, we don't know anything else um, and we think that that's sort of normal, as I said, but we... Once we can kind of, you know, maybe in therapy or when you start to kind of sit down and reflect on your childhood, you're kind of seeing it from the outside. I think we can kind of take ourselves out and really analyse it. Um, and once you you can kind of see it for what it is, you can kind of come to terms with it and then, you know, look at some strategies of how to move forward and improve those um, interactions. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you, Sally? How do you use it? Um, yeah, I have used attachment theory a few times with clients. Uh, firstly, I use it really selfishly when I want to understand present client profiles, especially in personal relationships. So I always try to uh, try to understand what their attachment styles are by asking some, uh, you know, um, family of origin questions just to understand what's happened in the past. Yeah. Um, but mostly I've used it in individual counselling by attempting to heal past parental wounds. So I've, I've noticed that there is something that's deeply troubled this person in the past. I offer a safe space for the client through therapeutic alliance and I model what a perfect secure relationship would look like. Um, and then the client can choose to model that in their life um, and we use deep reflective tools to do so. So I I always call it the frame theory. If you model a perfect um, scene in your space, in your room, they can then copy this in the real world. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. interesting. Um, before we get get into sort of the next question, um, we might just hear from another one of our sponsors. Okay. At time. This is Tyler Larson from Radio Karam, host of Sunrise on Super 8 on Saturday mornings 9 to 12. Stay groovy. Okay, thanks for that and welcome back everyone. So let's talk about why attachment style is important. Why do you think attachment style is important, Amanda? Well, I believe that while childhood relationships and experiences can shape us yeah it's not set in stone and Mm -hmm. i think that's the the main idea here and it means that we can put in the effort to firstly be aware and understand our attachment styles and then use that information to manage difficult situations more effectively and not be impacted by them as much um you know when doing a bit of research about this um the the website the life support counseling website um suggests that attachment is in our biology Um, It actually mentioned that the brain has a biological mechanism specifically responsible for creating and regulating our relationships. Um, And evolutionary speaking, you know, in in caveman times, um, social inclusion meant we had access to food and shelter um, and a sense of that belonging which brought around those benefits now, you know, the, the world is not like it was in that caveman time. So mm-hmm. it's not necessarily about food and shelter, which we can sort of get ourselves um, mostly, but it's about creating relationships that um, nourish our emotional well-being. Um, so learning about our attachment styles can help kind of reduce the risk of accepting relationships that um, hurt us emotionally. Uh, and as I mentioned before, um, our family or people that we're raised by sets up our basic model of attachment. Um, it suggested that new life experiences, um, they, they also suggest that new life experiences can shape our attachment style. As, as Sally and I mentioned that without, you know, any kind of new and future relationships that we've experienced in the past has shaped and we've learned new ways of doing things and, and um, you know, we, we've kind of, build some sort of a secure attachment um, along the way. Um, This theory actually I feel like it empowers us to learn communication strategies that that improve our relationships and get that relationship that is emotionally fulfilling. Um, How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds um, pretty good to me. Um, I just want to know though – can it be corrected? What, what, what do you think? Do you think it can be? Um, I do think that changing your attachment style is possible, but it does take a lot of work. Uh, it may 
I should say that it may help to seek advice, obviously, from a professional because um, uh, it is quite traumatic to go through uh, past experiences as children, uh, especially if we have insecure attachment. Uh, I guess the her- therapist can also help uncover the cause of your attachment style and provide tools and te- techniques to form to form more secure bonds. Um, also, secondary to professional help, the nature of friendships, like we said before, and romantic relationships can influence adult attachment. So, in the same way that early child giver interactions can. So, for example, someone with an insecure attachment style can become romantically involved with a person with a secure attachment style and then through the connection, the vulnerability, the emotional, intimate relationship, you can heal your insecure attachment to more secure attachment and then regulate your emotions Mm. as well. Absolutely. (laughs) And improve your mental health. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I actually did a bit of research into um, (coughs) kind of relationships, how Mm -hmm. they play out in adult hood um and according to helpguide.com secure attachment as an adult usually translates to being um you know if we look at secure attachment is self-confident trusting hopeful with an ability to healthily manage conflict respond to intimacy and navigate the ups and downs of romantic relationships uh given that the infant brain is so profoundly influenced by the attachment bond, as we've mentioned before, mm-hmm. understanding your attachment style can offer vital clues as to why you may be having problems in your adult relationships. Specifically speaking, someone with a secure attachment style may be able to share their feelings openly. They can seek support when faced with relationship problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those, uh, you know, in opposition as opposed to insecure attachment styles, on the other hand, may tend to become needy or clingy in those in their closest relationship. They can behave in selfish or manipulative ways when feeling vulnerable or simply shy away from intimacy altogether. Um it's important to note, though, that even though these types of people or insecure attachment yeah. styles are so dependable, they can be toxic at times, right? Yeah. But they're not bad people no. whatsoever. Yeah, they no, just might have some toxic traits. Yeah, there's no good or bad traits no. or ways of relating. It doesn't mean people. that secure people are the yeah. be all <laughs> high almighty, no. highly evolved humans. No. Um, it just means that the way they express themselves yeah. or the way they see life is just a little yeah. bit more secure than others. Yeah, and as we mentioned, everyone has the potential to, to be – Absolutely. Know, yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I wanted to actually take some time to really talk about, um, you know, attachment in, in pop culture. Ooh. Let, let's kick us off, Sally. Yeah. <laughs> um, So in today's society, I guess, attachment theory and styles has become very popular in our contemporary culture. I find this interesting because for a theory that pretty much blames the mother if basic survival needs are not met and then forgets the father and other family members who may also help shape the relationship, um, it really doesn't take into account the environment. So you can also start listening to how I what my problems with the theory is Um, and yeah and how the environment can really shape mental health and relationships as well so the theory gets a lot of attention today for um, what it's worth I guess Uh, I was thinking why this is and I believe that 
its naming of anxious avoidant and secure attachment styles, like I said before, puts a nice little box to think, puts it in a nice little box with the bow, but it can be clarifying and it's an informative lens for understanding common relationship challenges. So anyone who has felt preoccupied about their partner's feelings or who has found themselves running in the direction as soon as intimacy presents itself, will see themselves reflected in one of or more of these styles. So people like to name what type of style they are, and that makes it, you know, quite fun. Um, perhaps more importantly, attachment theory offers the chance of self-awareness that can, I guess, deliver us from suffering. What do you say? Yeah, well, I guess in terms of you know, why it's become popular. Um, I think there was a – I feel like there was a, a period of time where we kind of looked at childhood experiences and, yeah. um, you know, the founder of that, you know, in terms of what Freud was saying about childhood experiences, we kind of like pushed to the but side. But Balby did follow Freud yes. as well. Yeah, but I feel like maybe – They both said it was innate and biological. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so what I'm saying is I feel like there was a point where maybe in the last sort of – 10, 20, 30 years that mm-hmm. we kind of like, oh, they're just sort of theories. They're, you know, we need to focus on the environment and, you know, and, and other theories and things yeah, like that. Like social um, factors as yeah, well. Yeah, social factors. But I think with people like Bowlby and Ainsworth and, and I think recently mm-hmm. um, we've kind of given it another look and be like, hang on, the childhood experiences are important mm-hmm. um, but we also recognise it's not, set in stone but I think and it's not always the mother's fault no not always <laughs> the mother's fault I think I think it's important to be critical of these theories and and um it's healthy to have these um conversations okay well is it relevant is it not you know things like that but I think it's important to give it a second look and really consider um the implications of our childhood experiences on on how we are today um we're going to go a bit more into kind of popular culture here. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, we did receive a text message, so I'll just read it out. Um, so from from Tracy, my future mother-in-law, so thanks for texting in, Tracy. She says, I am enjoying this topic, Amanda and Sally. Also interesting to hear your own reflections on your attachments. Um, thanks for that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so going I thought into- we'd get a bit more personal yeah. in this episode. Yeah, it's maybe more to come in the future. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see, we have boundaries, but yeah, you know, we'll see. <laughs> um, so yeah, a bit more into kind of pop culture. You know, I was thinking about this theory and how we can kind of make it relevant for people these days. And I was thinking about dating shows, and you know, Amanda the, loves I dating don't shows, don't love it anymore, okay, because I feel like it's gotten a bit because I definitely don't follow these dating shows that are so popular. I, I used to be hooked into it, but yeah. I guess, um. You know, a, a bit more of a <laughs> for for me to kind of wind down and a bit of self care. I'm actually into the. They are interesting though, but, um, from yeah. a psychological perspective. Yeah. Um, I actually did find a really interesting article by someone called Dr. Diane, and mm-hmm. she, I, I assumed she was looking at the the US um, version of The Bachelor. Yeah. Um, she anal- analyzed the uh, the final three on The Bachelor. Um, and she characterised the three girls left as well as the bachelor himself. Um, so I'll bring up uh, what she was saying. So – and she ended the article with some lessons to learn from the bachelor. But mm-hmm. um, in terms of the, the characters, she said one of the girls seems to be secure 
um, and mentioned that she's ready to find her partner and the one who will put her first and treat her right. Um, she said that after Clayton told the two other women he was in love with them and <laughs> slept with them, Susie was well within her rights when she confronted him about it and to do um, to do otherwise would have meant ignoring her own boundaries and values. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of suggests that, uh, you know, while she's kind of putting her heart on the line for this guy, um, she also has boundaries and is willing to kind of meet where her needs are and put up those boundaries as well. Um, there was another girl called Rachel and she said, in my opinion, Rachel appeared to have more of an anxious or nervous attachment style. Um, and she says, we see her falling quick and hard for Clayton, which I assume is the bachelor, which makes it obvious, um, that she is sweet, loving and devoted. Um, she says that she saw a number of scenes where we see her, Rachel, seeking validation from Clayton saying things like, tell me I'm your person. I'm, it's a classic need for the anxious person to know that they're special. Uh, looking at Rachel's family, her dad, Tony, is a ball buster. The mother says as much. Um, it's sweet that Tony is protective but no one has been good enough and she wondered if this wasn't a tough uh, tough message for Rachel. Um, looks like the other girl, Gabby, um, this Dr. Diane, felt like she may have been an avoidant where she feels like she was funny and using humour and um, uh, poking fun of herself and, and um, you know, and calling Clayton out for his lack of experience. Um voice of reason it can kind of see a little bit of avoiding and using humor to deflect and not really kind of you know having those serious conversations um in terms of the bachelor she also made a comment about him saying that clayton looked a little too green for the bachelor it it sounds (laughs) like um it it looks like he's 28 but uh look this person said he was quite naive and not a lot of experience um, and, you know, looked like his parents were really sweet. They tried very hard to bring Clayton up. Um, they were disappointed um, in their son who um, he's – she mentioned that his dad's message was basically women want to be first, not second, um, which I – you know, that kind of teaching I'm not too sure about. Um, but I, I think – you know, kind of looking at these shows and things like that, um, whether it's – I think that there's a hook to them and, and people uh, kind of feed off the drama. and They do. And they really emphasise the drama in some of these shows, at least of what I've seen. Um, but in terms of what this person – Also, I think they select certain types of people. So yeah, yeah. And to I was, put in the room for entertainment purposes mm, as well. Yeah, for sure. She she gave some lessons that she got from the show um, and she says, love can be blind but not to others. Make sure to vet someone with the group. They know who's a good person or not. Watch out for love bombing. Secure people don't need to come on so strong. Slow and steady wins the race. <laughs> if you can't get vulnerable, you will see, you will be seen as a risk. Think about it. If someone else says they love me and the other isn't sure, who would you pick? Mm. Um, don't look at love as a competition because it's not – I will talk about that soon. It's not about who's a better fit, not a better person. It's about who's a better fit, not a better person. 
Mm. Uh, first impressions really do matter. Find a way to stand out but don't look thirsty. Um, always tell the truth about everything all the time. No exceptions. If you lie once, everything will collapse. Mm. The beginning of any relationship is important. Set the tone for how you expect to be treated. I think that last one is is important um, to note. I, I want to talk about the word competition. Um, there is a few dating shows that are competition. I know things like Love Island, you get a prize or um, some, some money. I, I think um, uh, that, that blind dating show, I can't remember what, what it was called, that, that dating blind or something. Not my area yeah. of expertise, unfortunately. Um, I think that there may be sort of a prize there. I I am very critical of dating shows that there are a prize. I know Married at First Sight, while the fame and fortune can be a prize, um, not not the fortune, but the fame of it. If you last, you know, if you're lasting and things like that. Um, I I think things like Love Island. Um, I feel like it rushes or forces um, the journey one goes on to form connections and find a relationship that can be emotionally fulfilling. There's those two important words again. Yeah. Um, they they talk about a lot of these shows. The main thing they talk about is connections. Um, but I, I find relationships, while built on connections, you know, have to be, a, I don't have to be, but there has to be sort of an initial attraction and connection there. Mm-hmm. I feel like they stand the test of time when there are challenges and they're able to get through them in a secure way. Um, and I'm finding, I'm actually finding that not many people are racing these days to be on these shows. I feel it's shown more to be about the drama and maybe the competition and highlighting then uh, and highlighting issues people go through instead of what actually is it to be in, in a secure, healthy relationship that stands the test of time. And I know that shows don't have a lot of time to, to show that. Um, I think especially with maths, Married at First Sight, um, I, I kind of had a look at, you know, what, what the process looks like in selection and matching and there wasn't actually a lot to – they talked about interview processes and uh, psychometric testing and social science testing and there wasn't exactly what they were asking them. Um, I still have a question about maths is wh- do they um, consider the role of attachment? What does What role does the attachment theory play in setting up these people? Um, as we talked about, you know, one – um, one style of attachment can be good with with another one, or you know, at least have a secure person in in you know in mm. one of those people. Um, so I think um, there's some big questions around uh, dating shows. I think these days, I think people are a lot more critical and less willing to to go on these shows because um, it's. I don't think. Well, for, for my opinion, it's not authentic mm. um, and it kind of rushes the process. I know some people don't have a lot of time or they are kind of getting older and they want a relationship but I think it's it's a journey that everyone experiences very differently to mm. find these people and get connections and, you know, get to a point where they're kind of solid in their relationship and even that can chop and change things like that. Mm. Um, and I think it just sort of forces it, I think, and just for fame. Um Next, I, I do want to talk about celebrities and where we can see attachment in celebrities. Um, again, not much I could really find on <coughs> famous people's attachment styles. Um, there was one article that mentioned four different celebrities of the each um, uh, attachment styles. They, they said Dr. Phil is, is secure. Um, 
Well, Michael Jackson was fearful, avoidant. Avoidant, for sure. Yeah, avoidant. This is a fun game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. If, um, pink is secure, yeah, I would say. Pink, pink is secure and I think she's setting up a secure attachment with yeah. her kid. Yeah. Um, they mentioned – You'd have to be though to model it. Yeah. They mentioned Britney Spears, high anxiety, low, low avoidance, maybe an anxious attachment. Um, uh-huh. Insecure sure. for sure Insecure, though. yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, and who, but who are we to label people, no, right? No, this, this is, is just, just a from, bit of fun. Yeah. A bit of sort of pop culture yeah. thing here. They mentioned Shane Warne, rest in peace, um, as low self anxiety, high avoidance of others. Um, they mentioned Warney clearly has no self-directed anxiety like poor Brittany did. So he doesn't fit the preoccupied style. However, he still finds it difficult to form intimate relationships without jeopardizing them. Mm. Uh, and then they believe that it fits nicely into this category. Shane hardly lacks self-confidence. However, he seems to be very good at separating sex and love. He seems to find it hard to commit to his wife as he is continually unfaithful to her. I, I'm not sure the, the validity of this, this website um, and, uh, you know, I want to be respectful as, as you know, still early days of after Shane Warne. Um, so, yeah, and I'm not sure what. Um, impact being a celebrity can have on attachment styles. Um, you know, you hear celebrities being so public with, with um, you know, all those sorts of things and it, it's just sort of interesting to kind of think about, um, you know, wh- where people are at in, in terms of – I remember an interview Rihanna did years ago with Ellen and saying that there's not much time or – privacy for for relationships and things like that so you know it's it's a wonder where where people are at in when they are celebrities to to kind of go through all of that um so um yeah if anyone had any um kind of ideas or or if you had a celebrity in mind that you feel like kind of fits the the bill for each of those attachment styles um please let us know um, again, the, the number is 0493 Okay. Okay, so actually I wanted to add a little bit about my two cents on pop culture and sure. attachment. Mm-hmm. I don't have mu- as much to say as Amanda, um, but I do sometimes like to jump onto TikTok late at night especially um, let's see what's going on in the world. I know, so informative. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. um, so Relevant. while going down the rabbit hole of dating talk, they like to call it, mm. um, I've actually been quite intrigued that a lot of users are talking about their attachment styles now. So right. it's become this uh, brand new trend. Mm. In particular, for some reason, disorganized attachment. Mm. So in an attempt to better understand dating culture and avoid heartbreak, TikTok users are naturally jumping in and chiming in on their own videos, attempting to define this complicated attachment style um, because it's this new trend to Mm. name yourself to be disorganized Mm. and avoidant, Mm -hmm. Uh, which of course allows for so much misinformation. Um, And while it can be great to find community with others interested in attachment theory, Learning new information from a professional is preferable to taking advice from a three-minute video that may cause confusion and promote even harmful stereotypes. Uh So 
TikTok's broad consensus um, defined disorganized attachment style as a combination of being both avoidant and anxious. So I just want to know why they want to label themselves as that. So I'm quite intrigued. Um, experts say that there's not much research out there on that category, but it is noted that it can present itself as a fear of abandonment or getting emotionally close to someone. Yeah. So there you go. Interesting. Yeah. Wonder why. I think it's really relevant how much of an impact TikTok has had. I know. Um, you're not just sort of around sort of popularity of songs and stuff, but um, in terms of, you know, look, seeing – being exposed to relationships and, and that's what I think also about dating shows is that we're yeah. exposed to that yeah. and we need to be – I think we need to be more mindful or people doing these shows or doing TikToks need to be more mindful about what what's we're actually showing yeah. and how that can kind of – To sh- avoid misinformation because yeah, it absolutely. can be quite harmful to so many people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If anyone has any, you know, um, concerns about maybe their relationship or their style – we would definitely, you know, encourage a chat with you Yeah, know, if you've got any questions about attachment style or your attachment yeah. style, there's heaps please of, give us a call research. as well. research. Me- message us. But um, we, we always encourage people, you know, seeking that professional support. Um, and I think we mentioned in our last show that people can get support from, you know, having a chat to their GP and getting a referral mm-hmm. um, if, if money is sort of an issue or, you know, having a bit of a research to see who's around. and There's also a mental health plan and, and that you yeah, going through your GP. Yeah, yeah, yeah for that sure. Doesn't involve out-of-pocket yes. expenses. Yeah, yeah. For, for those who, um, well, definitely very helpful for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- thanks for for sharing all of that. Okay, my turn. Now we move on to the counselling corners music therapy yes. segment. Woo! Yeah. Um, so briefly, this segment involves the host or guest, which we don't have any guests today, who choose songs that they either find therapeutic or a song about therapy. Uh, so music therapy is the clinical use of music to accomplish goals such as reducing stress and anxiety, improving mood and self-expression, managing un- anger and frustration. It is evidence-based, so it's well established in the health community and it can involve listening to music, singing, playing instruments or composing music. So um, I'll, go, I'll go with my choice now, I guess. So I have chosen Sigur Ross's Olsen Olsen. So Sigur Ross's name, fun fact, translates into victory and rose in Icelandic. So this is my favourite song from the band, I would say because I find it not only extremely beautiful and haunting, but really otherworldly. So it instantly calms me down and takes me into a state of equilibrium when in crisis mood. So I'm not in crisis at the moment, but there's a little tip for you. Maybe you'd enjoy the song as well um, if you want to regulate your emotions. And I belong in Sigur Ross's land. So take me there and here it is. Before we get into that, we also just need to let you know that, yes, if you're listening live, then you will hear the song. But if you are listening to the podcast, we will be posting these these songs um, when we post for the podcast link. Um, so please go and see it there. Welcome back. So that was Sigur Ross with Olsen and Olsen and I hope you're all taken to your safe space there. 
Okay, so now it's Amanda's chosen song. Go ahead, Amanda. Yeah, thanks, Sally. I just want to say that was a really um, joyful song and <laughs> really kind of lifted the spirits. Um, Absolutely. For, for me for me at least. Um, so thank you for that. Um, so, yeah, so my uh, song choice, I don't know, maybe a bit cheesy for people, but I, um, you know, with uh, sort of older celebrities, you know, getting older and unfortunately sort of, I'm passing away, um, you know, I've been a little bit in, intrigued into kind of, um, you know, the classics and, and the old sort of movies and, and things like that. Um, and so I've chosen um, a song called The Fall by Electric Light Orchestra, which um, is from the Xanadu soundtrack. Um, I recently, um, not recently, but but I have sort of watched it recently and um, I think it, it's, you know, I really enjoyed the movie and it's a really cool, um, I guess, classic movie. Um, and this song I've chosen, um, I guess, because, um, you know, in kind of being intrigued and having the music on while I study and things like that, I think it's really helped me kind of get in the zone, help me to kind of express feelings that I've had and, and, you know, get through kind of some tough moments um, in terms of, you know, some, some placements and, and study sort of experiences. Um, and it's kind of just um, allowed me to really kind of get in my feels and allow the emotions to come out. So I, I hope that it can kind of do the same for you or just be sort of an enjoyable song um, for, for everyone to listen to. Um, now we will um, end the show after the song. So I just wanted to thank everyone for listening, whoever's listening and to everyone listening to the podcast um, and, and for sort of joining us on the ride that is attachment theory and the ride of the theories um, alone. Um, and uh, hopefully... I hope today's uh, show gives you some insight mm. into attachment theory and help yeah. you discover what your attachment style is. Yeah. And maybe correct any insecure yeah. attachment there. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully people have taken something from, from the show. Um, if anyone had any further questions or things that you wanted us to talk about, maybe um, in another show or, you know, things like that, um, you can reach us on our, on our Facebook page, The Counselling Corner. Um, and you can kind of message us from there or comment on our post and we'll be happy to take questions or comments or feedbacks and things like that. Um, so, again, thanks, everyone, for listening and hopefully everyone enjoys the song and enjoys the rest of their day. Thank you. Hello, my name is Océane. I come from Martinia and you are listening to Radio Carom.